Well, good afternoon. Welcome to Renaissance. Good to have all of you with us this, uh, this afternoon. And uh, just so you know, this is our very last week of our series, It's Complicated. And uh, if you missed a week or maybe this is your very first time with us today, uh, you can find all of our messages online at renaissancechurch.org. You can uh, download them, share them, watch them, listen to them. You also uh, can click on notes and there's a discussion guide for every single individual message and it's just there for you personally or maybe with a group of you just to kind of take the message and take it one more step and, and just as a tool to help you grow spiritually. Well, last week, uh, after one of the services, a gentleman walked up to me and he said, Hey, Chris, he goes, I just want to let you know that uh, uh, this entire series has been very helpful. And you know, it was like one of those moments where you're like, you feel the encouragement, you feel the love, but you know the but statement's coming. Like you just, you just could feel it. And... Uh, and so I was like, oh, that feels great. It's been helpful. What's going to be the but statement? And all of a sudden he said, but, and I waited for it and waited for it. And he goes, but you realize it's a lot more difficult to put this all into practice than just talk about. And he's absolutely right. Like it's easy to talk about forgiveness and canceling debts. It's easy to talk about reconciliation, trying to create peace in relationships. It's easy to talk about how we all see each other through different sets of lenses and how everyone interacts and perceives each other in this world in a very different way, but it's a whole different thing to actually have to go and live that out. And I started thinking about that this week, just in my life. And I started to, to think about how I... Uh, communicate with my wife or with my two girls. And uh, there's these moments where I'm processing something mentally. I'm uh, navigating through a leadership issue or leadership tension, and it's all up in my head, and I'm thinking through, and I'm processing through internally. And then my wife will ask me something simple, maybe something about milk, and I just, right, I just snap. How I respond to her simple question about milk, and I'm like, where did that come from? And She's looking at me going, I just asked about milk, right? It's just, I started thinking about all the different hats I wear. You know, I have a, a, a husband hat that I wear. I have a, a father hat to two amazing girls that I wear. I, I have a son hat. I have a brother hat. I have a pastor hat. I have a spiritual uh, leader hat. But I also have a, a business leader hat. And what's interesting, the church world, we're, we're a church, yes, but yet there's functions within the church that, that feel like, act like more like a, a business. And so I'm wearing this spiritual leader hat, and then I throw on the business leader hat, and then I throw on the spiritual leader hat, and then I forget which hat I have on. I'm not sure what hat I should be wearing. I have a friend hat. And all these different relationships, and I'm interacting with all these different people in vastly different ways. And it becomes very complicated, doesn't it? We look in the Bible, and uh, you know, there's this kind of theme throughout the whole Bible about God desiring to have a relationship with us, with his creation. We go back to, very, uh, to the very first week of It's Complicated, to week one, and we looked at this garden moment at the very beginning in Genesis where God was literally walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. And we see that played out throughout the Bible, God desiring to have this personal relationship with us. He doesn't want to be this distant God. He doesn't want to be this God that's way up in the sky, just kind of leaning back, hands off. 
He doesn't want to be this God that is unattached from us, but he, he's a God that truly desires to have a relationship with us. And we get into the New Testament and we start hearing things like God is Father and we are his children. And that's a powerful relationship. And I think about my dad and the relationship I have with my dad, and it's an amazing relationship. Now, my dad didn't have an amazing relationship with his dad, but my dad, he changed things. He changed kind of the whole course of our entire family. My dad has spent his life being the, the man of God God has called him to be. He has spent his life trying to be the father God, God has called him to be and a husband that God has called him to be. And I have this amazing relationship with my dad. I respect him. I look up to him. I truly hope that I can be a, a dad to my girls like he was to me. And so when I think about God being father and me being his child, that's a powerful, powerful relationship for me. But just in the past 30 seconds of me talking about God being father and we being his children in my relationship with my dad, I'm sure some of you, maybe many of you, you just had a different reaction. Because a relationship with your dad is nowhere near to my relationship with my dad. And when I'm talking about God as father, that's a different a different and difficult kind of lens to look through because when you look through your lens at your earthly father, it's fractured, it's toxic, it's distant. And it's difficult to look at God as father when your only concept, your only perspective of a father is the father that you have. And we wonder why our relationship with God becomes so complicated. Because we bring all of our complications with all of our relationships, not just uh, our relationship with our, our father, or our relationship with our mother, but we, we bring all of our lenses and all of our interactions with every single person. And then we start thinking about our relationship with God, and it just becomes really complicated extremely quickly. But in all reality, the relationship with God is really simple. It's really simple. And Jesus is going to kind of tell a story, and he's just going to get right into it, say, no, 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 you have complicated this, but it's really simple. And so it's important to, to kind of pull back, and in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is going to be telling this story and, uh, but before he gets into the story, uh, we, we discover a little bit about his audience, who he was teaching to. And this is important to know who he was teaching to because it gives a lot of kind of clarity when he gets to the point of the story. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus now in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John especially, uh, the authors separate out sinners from tax collectors. Like sinners were just like, uh, they're the bad people. They made bad decisions, bad choices. But the tax collectors were at a whole different level. 
They were despised by the culture. They were despised by the people because they had all the power of the Roman government behind them because Rome was telling the tax collectors, hey, you take a percentage, send that back to Rome, and whatever you choose to take on top of that, you can put that right in your pockets. So obviously people hated tax collectors. They were extremely wealthy. They had a lot of power. And so they're sitting there. And so you had the sinners... But then you had the tax collectors. But also in the audience were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were on the opposite extreme from the tax collectors and sinners. They're the really good people. They're the really religious people. They went to church every Sunday, no matter how nice the weather was outside. If there was four services, guess what they would do? They'd go to all four services. Right? They prayed all the time. They memorized the Bible. Once they had it memorized, they tried to unmemorize it so they would have to memorize it again. They were those people. And so they were sitting there, and guess what they started to do? They started to mutter. It's interesting. There's a story in the New Testament about another tax collector named Zacchaeus. Maybe you've heard this story. And you see all these people were kind of surrounding when Jesus was talking to Zacchaeus, saying, hey, Zacchaeus, I want to go eat with you. And guess what the crowd of religious people started to do? Mutter. And they started to complain. This man welcomes, meaning this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. How dare he? You see, we think about this moment. And I think that's the danger of most churches, if not all churches. It's so easy for religious people, for Christ followers, to start leaning towards that of being a Pharisee and the teachers of the law and start looking around saying, why is that person here? I can't believe he showed up. Do you know what she was doing last night? I saw How in the world could they come into a church? And I think in this brief moment, it's such an amazing picture of what Jesus had hoped the church to become. A place where all people, from tax collector to Pharisee, from sinner to religious leaders, to come together. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what you've done, haven't done, no matter what you believe and don't believe, no matter what people think of you or don't think about you, and everyone in between comes together to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is sitting there, and he starts to teach them. He says this in verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. A parable is simply a a fictional story that kind of tells this uh, life principle or a timeless principle. And so he starts into this fictional story, and he starts out by saying this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now, for, for, for all of us, uh, you know, 
sheep, they don't mean much to us, but 2,000 years ago, this was a huge deal because to be a shepherd, that was a, a pretty significant job and economic engine. And to lose one, it's not like they could just go to Costco and buy a new sheep, not like you could now, or they couldn't log on to Amazon and get one delivered in two days, right? Like it was difficult to replace that, that sheep. And Jesus just says, hey, suppose you lose one. And you see, the key point here wasn't so much about the sheep. It's about this whole idea, this emotion of loss. We all understand what it means to lose something of value. We all understand that emotion, that hole that it creates when you lose something of significance or someone of significance. Years ago, uh, I had uh, a pretty ferocious uh, chocolate lab. Her name was Snickers. Aww. I'd walk into my house and she would gallop because she was big. She'd gallop to me and she'd put her big paws on my chest. I'd sit on the couch at night and uh, she didn't realize she wasn't a lap dog and so she would jump on my lap and just consume my entire body. We'd go out swimming and we'd jump in the swimming pool and she would be jumping on top of my head and uh, she was just, she was my dog. And then one day, and we don't know how, she got out of the backyard. You see, in Las Vegas, where I'm from, uh, they, there's like cinder block walls for everyone's backyard. Like everyone had cinder block walls with a, like a steel iron gate. And somehow she got out. And I remember not just weeks, but months and months and months of me walking into the house from working at night and uh, expecting her to run up and jump on me. And she didn't do that. I remember sitting on the couch at night, just expecting Snickers to come across, around the corner and jump on my lap. And she wasn't there to do that. I remember the first time I was jumping in the swimming pool, and I turned around uh, real fast because I, I just was expecting her to be jumping on my head. But she wasn't there. You, we all understand this emotion of loss. We all understand what it feels like to lose something that means so much. And every single person sitting around Jesus, guess what? They, they understood this emotion. They understood what it felt like. Well, Jesus goes on, and he kind of turns a corner, and he tells this story. Or, or suppose a woman has taken 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, it's implied in this that, that all she had was 10. And so to lose the one out of the 10 meant everything. And Jesus... Uh, t- tells as part of the story that she lit a lamp to light the room and got a broom and started to sweep the floor. She did everything she could to find this one coin because this one coin meant everything. But you see also in this moment, Jesus draws in every woman sitting there because you you see in that culture 2,000 years ago, it was a male-dominated culture. And all of a sudden, every woman was leaning in going, oh, he's, he's talking to me. He's talking to me. And then he says this. There was a man who had two sons. Now, at this point, he had everyone. Everyone listening to him, he had their attention. Because everyone there, guess what? Was a son or a daughter. Everyone there. Everyone there had a relationship with a parent. 
Now, maybe it was a close relationship. Maybe it was a fractured relationship. Maybe it was a life-giving relationship, or maybe it was just one of those emotionally tense relationships. Who knows? But every single person sitting there was a son or a daughter. Everyone there understood what it meant to have this relationship, no matter how close or how distant it was, with a parent. There's nothing like a parent-child relationship. There's nothing like it. So Jesus starts in and says, suppose there's this man. This man has two sons. And one day, the younger son comes to him, and the younger son look at, looks at dad and says, Hey, dad, I want my inheritance now. Well, everyone sitting there listening to Jesus understood the significance and the impact of that one moment. You see, in that culture, you wouldn't receive your inheritance until your dad died. And so by this younger son going to dad before he was dead and demanding his inheritance... It was like him saying to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead. In fact, I'm going to act as if you were dead. Now give me what's owed to me now. When you're talking about complicated, that's complicated. And dad decided to give him his third, what was owed to him. The younger son took his inheritance And sometime later, he set off for a distant land. We're not sure what that distant land was, but uh, while he was there, the Bible says he he had wild living. And so I just kind of thought in my mind, it might have been Las Vegas. He just went to Las Vegas. And just think about, you know, a single guy with a lot of money in Las Vegas. I mean, could you imagine the type of fun he had? I mean, don't imagine too much. We're in church. But could you imagine... um, What happened there? Then one day, a famine hit the land. And he ran out of money. And he found himself by himself. And he started to starve. And things got desperate. And he found a farmer. And he went to this farmer and said, Farmer, can... I need a job. I need something. I have nothing. And this farmer said, fine, you can have a job. And your job is to feed my pigs. Now remember, this is a Jewish boy. And pigs were considered to be unclean. And this Jewish son decided, this is how desperate he was to feed pigs. And the farmer said, hey, you can feed the pigs, but don't you dare eat what you're feeding those pigs. Those pigs need that food. You can't even eat the pig slop. And then it says this, when he came to his senses, like sometimes it takes us to get to the lowest point of life where we can't go any lower for us to come to our senses, right? Sometimes it just takes us to get that low for us to realize there's no, there's no other place to go than up or to stay right where we are. And he realized that there was nowhere else he could go. He was feeding pigs, and he was thinking to himself, I really would like to eat this pig slop, but I can't even eat that. And so he came to his senses, 
And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And he started thinking about home again. He started thinking about uh, his former life. He started thinking about what it was like before he walked up to his dad. And before he said to his dad, dad, I'm considering you, considering you dead and the story goes on. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him. You see, the younger son started working on his speech. It's like, I, I got to get this speech and I, I got to make sure that when I go back and when I see my dad, even if uh, hopefully my dad will uh, have a conversation with me, I better really know what I'm going to say to my dad because this situation, man, this is going to be complicated. And so he starts working on what he's going to say to his dad and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven, meaning I have sinned against God and against you. He goes on. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, he gets the fact, he gets the point that when he looked at his dad and says, Dad, give me my inheritance. I consider you to be dead. He understands that he can't come back and just be his son again. He's not blaming anyone. He's not blaming his dad. He's not saying, hey, dad, hey, you share in the blame of this. Hey, dad, you were a little controlling. Hey, dad, you like my older brother more than me. Hey, dad, you showed favoritism. Hey, dad, you weren't there. Hey, dad, you didn't give me what I needed. There's no blaming going on. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Then he says, make me like one of your hired servants. So he set off to go back to have a conversation with his dad. And I think about this entire group of people sitting around Jesus listening to this story. And they must have been thinking to themselves, really? What do you think this younger son thinks is going to happen? He should just stay there with the pigs. That's what he deserves. He should just stay there in the pig slop. What uh, goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. You get what you give. What do you think this boy is going to get by going back to his dad? Well, Jesus continues on in this story. He says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with As a parent, what would you be filled with? I, mean, I wonder, I mean, if I was the father in this story, I'd been working on a speech myself. I'm going to tell that boy exactly what he deserves. I'm going to give him my, I, I'll still love him, but I'm going to tell him. And he's going to work, and he's going to repay me, and there's this list of things, and he better... He better have really learned a lesson. And how would you respond to one of your kids that looked you straight in the eyes and said, no, you're dead to me? For some of you, you've lived through that moment. For some of you, you're living through that moment right now. And Jesus said, he had compassion, compassion on him. And not only did he have compassion on him, I mean, get what he's, he does next. 
he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I mean, this father embraces his boy. And I'm sure this younger son was going, oh, why, I did not expect this to happen. I'd rehearsed this moment many different ways, but I never scripted it to be like this. I'm sure that Jesus' audience was like, what? What's this about? And so the son starts into his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. But the father interrupts him. And he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. It's time to party. The younger son was like, no, no, no dad, I, I have more of my speech. I'm not done yet. Dad, dad, no, no, consider me a servant. I consider you to be dead. I don't deserve a, a party. What, dad, what are you talking about? Dad, do, do, you, do you realize the gravity of this situation, Dad? you remember the very beginning of the of this story jesus said there was a dad and how many sons two sons i wonder if this point if the audience that jesus was teaching to was like hey he forgot one what about the older son when you see the older son was off and here he heard about his younger brother coming back and he heard about this party being thrown It says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. I think about this father who's just trying to throw a party. And on one side of the house, he has his younger son going, no, dad, treat me as a servant. No, dad, I'm not worthy. No, dad, this can't be for me. On the other side of the house, he has his older son saying, hey, hey, dad, no. No, you throw a party for him, for what he's done to you? You're throwing a party and... He considered you to be dead? He's done this to the family? And you see, the older brother had a speech as well. And this is how his speech went. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me, uh, you never even gave me even a young goat. Can you just sense the pity party? You didn't even give me a young goat, Dad. So I could celebrate with my friends. He goes on. But when this son, not my brother, when this son of yours, who has squandered all your property with prostitutes, I'm sure in that moment the older brother was like, (laughs) I bet you didn't know that, pops. Yeah, dad. When he was off in that Distance, distant land, Dad, with your money. It wasn't just one. It was multiple prostitutes. You know the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in. Come on, Dad. Do you realize what he did? Come on, Dad. I got more stories to tell you. The servants are talking. This is good stuff. Come on, Dad. Get to reality here. This is what your son did. He comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him? 
Listen to the dad. My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. I wonder if the older brother was like, no, 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 dad. I just said prostitutes. Did you miss that? Dad, come on, come back to me, dad. It's as bad as you think. Don't be in denial. He really did all these things. And the father said, no, 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 no. I, I, get, I get exactly what he did. I understand this situation. And he says, everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, when he left us, we thought he was dead, which means he wasn't with us. But now that he is alive, he is with us again. And when he was lost, he wasn't with us. But now he is found, and now he is with us. You see, that's why we celebrate. We celebrate because now he's with us. You see, in this one moment, with the sinners and the tax collectors on one side and the Pharisees and the religious uh, uh, leaders and rulers on the other side and everyone in between, Jesus leveled the playing field. You see, the younger son and the older son had the same problem. You see, they thought everything had to do with performance. The younger son going, look what I did. Look at my actions, Dad. I'm not worthy. And the older brother was saying, look what I did. I've done everything right. I haven't done what he did. And Jesus was looking at the tax collectors and the sinners saying, yeah, I know what you did. And he was looking at the Pharisees and the religious rulers saying, I I, I know you think you have it all together. But you have to understand that the relationship with the Father has nothing to do with performance. It has everything to do with proximity. You see, simply, God just wants to have a relationship with you. He just wants to be in relationship. It's really that simple. And you've complicated. Because you think it has everything to do with performance. The better you are, the closer you'll be with God. And it has nothing to do with that. It's about being with the Father. And the party is about being with the Father. You see, God can't love you any more than he does right now. And I hope you know that that's not a good, a feel-good preacher at church comment. I hope all of you know, whether or not you associate yourself with the sinners and the tax collectors or the the Pharisees and and the other uh, religious rulers and teachers, or you're somewhere in between, I hope you know that God can't love you any more than he does right now. And I hope you know that nothing that you do or will ever do, will cause him to love you any less. 
See what, what the Father wants from all of you? And maybe you, you, you just kind of, you're resonating with kind of the, the, the son that left and you're in Vegas right now. You're in that land. You know what God wants from you? Just, just turn and come back. The Bible calls it repenting. Just come back to him. Turn from your ways and just come back. You see, what the Father knows is there's always consequences to sin. There's always consequences to sin. Sin always has a gotcha. We know this. Whatever you believe spiritually, you know there's some actions that just have gotchas to it. Sin just does. And the father wasn't dismissing all, all this younger son's actions. He was throwing the party because he was back. He thought he was dead, but now he's alive. He thought he was lost, but now he's found. The party was about being back together. The younger son was going to have to work, work through a whole list of his actions. And probably most of them interpersonally for what he chose to do. For him looking at the father saying, I wish you were dead. Rebuilding relationships. He just wants to be back together. For some of you, you've turned and you've come back to God. But guess what? You're still sitting there going, but Chris, this is my past and this is what I've done. And and you're trying to earn and you're trying to work and you're trying to get closer to God because you think performance matters to God and God just wants to be with you. And for some of you, you're like the older brother. And you're angry and you're muttering and you look around you saying, ah, I can't believe God's doing that in that person's life because you, you know who they really are. Do you know what they really think? Do you know what their actions really are about? Do you know what they did last night? Do you know what they did in their, their business? Do you know what? And you're sitting there and you're casting judgment and you're looking down because you still think that if you're good enough, then God will love you more. And if you do all these right things, and you miss the point that God just wants to be with you. He just wants to be with you. It's really that simple. The worship team's going to come back out right now. And uh, what, we, what we want to do today is a couple things. It's kind of the end of the series. And... Um, we want it in by uh, worshiping together. And maybe you get what worship is. Uh, maybe you've come to Renaissance and you just know we sing and you listen to the band. You're like, oh, the band's awesome and people sing and that's kind of weird for you and you're just not sure why. You know, we worship because it's, a, it's, a, it, it's this moment where we together can just kind of say, hey, God, come close with us. Hey, God, it's a time to honor him it's also a time to have a conversation with him. It's a time to say, God, I need you near. It's a moment. And yeah, Romans 12 talks about that we, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices daily. It's our spiritual act of worship. And that worship is this uh, constant, continual uh, a thing we do with God. Yes, that's true. But there's also these moments where we together can sing and worship God. And I just want you to know, if you find yourself on the side with the sinners and tax collectors, 
you still can worship God. If you find yourself in your spiritual journey not sure if there is a God or not, guess what? You still can worship God. Just have a conversation with him. If you find yourself as a Pharisee and as teacher of the law, and maybe, maybe you need to do less muttering and more worshiping. Wherever you find yourself at spiritually, wherever, what I hope you know is that God can't love you any more than he does right now. And nothing you do will cause him to love you any less. So right now, I just invite you to stand with me. And I'd love to pray for you. And then we're going to end our time uh, worshiping together. So please stand. Lord, I thank you for our time together. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this room today. I don't know where they are spiritually. I don't know what they think of you. I don't know uh, where they have come from. But Lord, uh, my prayer is that every person in this room will know the depth of your love for every single one of them. You are our Father that desperately wants a relationship. Lord, my prayer today is that maybe, just maybe, people will see you a little less complicated and to realize how simple your love truly is.